Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. We're going to have a proper little geek out this week. We have got one of mine and Jacko's academic, practitioner, industry professional peer, men crush, man crush, um, extremely suave, sophisticated and well-educated gentleman, Dr. Ian Horsley, shoulder specialist physiotherapy extraordinaire, works with all the big dingalings in UK sports when they've got bust up shoulders. We've only gone and got him on the podcast, Jacko. We, we, we only haven't got him, have we? And uh, some of you will be thinking... We go, Ian Hall. I don't know. I don't know. I've, I don't know that I've heard of him. And so he's he's the type of guy that um, won't necessarily. He's so humble. He's not going to like. He's not going to brag. But so just to, to put it out there at the start of this podcast, what Doctor Ian Horsley doesn't know about the shoulder is not worth knowing. And uh, interestingly, when I was trying to get the podcast, uh, it's a, a nice graphic or picture for the podcast uh, graphic, it was like search Ian Doctor Ian Horsley in, in Google, and all you get. Is him stood with England footballer, him stood with uh, you know gymnastics gold medalist, him stood with like the the England rugby team, and it's just all the athletes that he's helped get back from injury that have then gone on to the Olympics, gone on to play football for England, gone to work with England rugby, like just yeah everyone uh, and anyone. If you basically it got to the point where my understanding, the easiest way to explain it was if you're a professional sports person in the UK, potentially even outside the UK and you have a shoulder problem that you need to get back quickly for a big competition like the Olympics, you go see uh, Dr. Ian Horsley. Well, the fascinating thing for me, Tim, is that he, he started liking some of our posts like on Twitter and it was like, he's right. well, doing all right. He, you, I was like, is he doing that? Is, is that a joke? You've taken <laughs> us down a route, Jacket, that I thought we were going to avoid. You know, sometimes there's those editing behind the scenes we don't always organise or record things in order. You've started your introduction with exactly the same line that you start the main part of the podcast scenes because we had recorded this a while ago. I won't tell you exactly how long, but we recorded it a while ago. It's a good joke, though. It's worth, it was worth putting on twice. And Dr. Ian Horsley is actually currently in... In Tokyo um, with the British the Team GB um, at the Olympics so he couldn't look live is what I'm saying anyway that is a long introduction and I feel like because we have taken Ian will listen to this and yeah. um, because we have taken so long to put it out Ian I hope we have done you justice in our slightly casual and unscripted introduction that we have done for this podcast which I think we should probably get on and start yeah uh, nothing I say other than let's roll that jingle so we are excited because we have ian horsley on the podcast now what this guy doesn't know about the shoulder tim is not worth knowing ian <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, fellas. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Um, I, uh, and the amazing introduction, right? You like yeah, that okay, one? definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, anybody who knows me know that if you uh, can keep this podcast down to under three hours, you'll have done well because I uh, love wagging on about a shoulder. So. Well, the combination well, of you plus me could be a problem. It's, it's three o'clock. I've got an engagement at seven, so we have got four hours. Um, so just fit, fit in that you know that you're 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 operating at the you know, as the leading field in, in the UK and probably the world for the shoulder. Just can you give us a bit of an input? Uh, so a bit of uh, 
an intro to yourself just for the people listening of um and and don't be too humble like so that people can understand why they should listen to the advice that you're that you're going to uh, hopefully shed with us okay um yeah so my currently i am uh, one of the technical lead physios at uh, the english institute of sport so the english institute of sport are a series of national centres that support our elite uh, para-Olympic and Olympic athletes. Uh, so not just on a physiotherapy and medicine, but with physio- uh, physiology, biomechanics, uh, nutrition, performance, lifestyle, uh, strength, strength and conditioning, uh, and psychology. I think I've covered everybody uh, there. <laughs> um, and uh, my main role within the Institute is to manage their the upper limb burden, especially the shoulder burden. So uh, my, my role is to reduce the injury burden uh, and the absenteeism of athletes from uh, training or playing through through to shoulder and upper limb injuries. And how I got into, into that is um, I joined the AIS 10, 10 years ago. Previously to that, I'd worked in various roles within rugby union, uh, and I was lucky to be working with um, with England Rugby in 2003 when we were good and we won a won a World Cup. Uh, and I, co- coincidentally, yeah, coincidentally, <laughs> since I uh, since I left, uh, where England haven't won anything, but we've had the most <laughs> two successful uh, Olympic Games that GB have had while I've been working with them. So uh, I don't know. Well, we'll see who that is. Um, it's all about I, the shoulder, then. That's what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and with, from my time in rugby, I got interested in shoulders because it was a, a massive injury burden in, in rugby, and so I was well, I was conned into doing a PhD. Uh, by a, a colleague of mine, a professor, Krista Rolf, uh, looking at the rugby shoulder and trying to uh, understand uh, why the rugby shoulder, um, that they presented their injuries differently to other overhead uh, athletes. Uh, it took me eight years uh, to complete my PhD, uh, found out the earth-shattering um, conclusion that a rugby shoulder is different to a swimming shoulder, which is different to a tennis shoulder, which is different to a baseball shoulder. So that's what I've got a PhD for, for that one statement alone. <laughs> uh, and since then, I've, I've been in that in that field. So I've come out of rugby, but I look across all our sports in, in the Institute. And, and I do consultancy outside the Institute, which most of the time involves upper limb uh, work. Awesome, which is just a... Uh... Yeah, amazing to get you on the podcast to share some of this because obviously calisthenics um, places a huge demand on the upper body. There's a lot of, the, of what we do is upper body based. It puts us into positions which are we're generally unaccustomed to when we begin. And, and often a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast won't have come from a gymnastics background, whereas some people in, in other areas of, of body weight training and progressive calisthenics will have done. Um, and we get a lot of questions about shoulders. And, and I think that Jacko and I, as ex-rugby players, both with broken shoulders, have, have, have walked this walk. And um, we, we're still continually learning. But to get your expertise across such a wide variety of, of sports and with a wide variety of different sorts of athletes doing challenging things at the highest level um, is huge. So yeah, I was you... going to just say for the record, um, both of my shoulders are former rugby shoulders. And I'm not, I don't know that I'll get a PhD for this, but I'm pretty certain my right shoulder is 
different to my left shoulder as well. <laughs> you probably get a, 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 probably get an M fill for that. Maybe not a PH. <laughs> <laughs> if you can think of another profound statement, Jack, you might be across the line. I don't know. Um, Ian, just give us a little bit of an orientation so people understand why we why do we need a shoulder specialist at, at your level to literally lead the area of um, shoulder support and, and as you said, the objectives that you are setting with your role across elite sport. Why, what is it about it that requires a, a, such a specific approach? Um, I, I think obviously I, I, I'm massively invested in, into the shoulder and, I, and I'm going to say how important the shoulder is for all upper limb uh, injuries. So even things now, you know, that it can be involved in one of the causative factors for having a tennis elbow, lateral epicondylitis, or even, even wrist injuries. You know, and, and, and if we contrast that with the with the lower limb, that there's much more acceptance that we know a little bit about the the kinetic chain. So having a stable pelvis, a stable platform for doing lower limb things and, and talking a lot about when we're doing lower limb exercises that in, involve sort of bending and squatting to have hip, knee and ankle uh, sort of over each other and, and working in that sagittal uh, sagittal plane uh, and not moving out outside that sagittal plane. But I don't, you know, if we think about the upper limb, okay, we, we used to be one of when we used to scramble around all fours, we used to use it from there, and we can contrast the scapula uh, similar to, to the pelvis. So we need a stable scapula uh, for optimal function uh, of our of our upper limb. I mean, you know, we, we went from sort of scram uh, climbing around in the trees, so we our arms were massively important to swing from the trees to break eight and, and still some of our anatomy uh, around there is, is linked to, to when we when we were swinging from from the trees and, and we have we have evolved okay not to swing from the trees but uh, a lot of sports evolve us working overhead okay where we where we were millions of year, years ago adapted to work overhead. Now we're de-adapted to working overhead and we're trying to work a little bit against evolution. So we need to, to manage what, what we can, really. And what is it about that overhead position that we find so challenging? And now when we find ourselves in, in potentially handstand positions or when, I, when I've used to dislocate my shoulders, I was often in, uh, sort of in overhead positions. Um, why, is that, why is that a challenge for us? It, 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 surprisingly, that, that when you look at the, the, the shoulder joint, the glenohumeral joint, it's just got two parts to it. It's got a shoulder blade that gives you the, the glenoid, the, the, the socket as such. And then you've got your humerus, okay, that gives you the, gives you the ball. And, and how they work together is important because if you, you know, think about the hip and if you look at any skeleton with a hip, you've got a really, really deep socket, bony socket for the ball to go in. So that gives that masses of, of bony stability around there. But if you actually look at the shoulder, at the glenohumeral joint, it, it's not really a socket. It's more of a saucer. It's quite flat is the socket bit. And it's got a little rim uh, of cartilage around it called the labrum, which is similar to the, if you've got um, a saucer, when you go to see your posh aunt and she brings you a cup of tea and it comes on a, on a saucer. Okay. So that little rim on the saucer just keeps the cup in the middle, uh, in the middle stops it sliding about. We've got that little rim around, around the shoulder. And that's the only thing that gives, gives it, it, it some passive stability. So what's really important around the shoulder is the, the dynamic stability. So the muscles are around, around the shoulder. And, and the muscles that, that keep the ball in the socket, okay, actually come from where the, 
where the socket come from. So come off the shoulder blade. So it, it's sort of quite complex. So if you we've got a shallow socket, and then the um, the area where the the muscles that control the ball in that socket come from come come from the same place as the socket. Now if we've got if we haven't got control of the the shoulder blade, then we haven't got control of the position of the socket. If we haven't got control of the shoulder blade, then we haven't got good recruitment of the muscles that keep the ball ball in the socket from there. So what is thought to happen is that it's the job of the scapula to follow the ball round. So as our arms go up ahead, we need to make sure that the that the socket is in the right place for supporting the load that's going through 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 the shoulders. That's great. Yeah, I think it's helpful for people to to understand. A lot of the time, people will sort of well, they might have, you know, pain around the shoulder and they're just sort of, we think of the shoulder and we just point at the shoulder, the sort of that area of the shoulder and we actually um, don't sometimes understand what actually are we talking about when we're talking about the shoulder and you sort of um, described it there both beautifully and easily um, to follow. One, one of the things that you did mention was um, shoulder blade or scapular um, stability or shoulder stability. And I just wanted to, if you could just do, because these are some of the themes that we're going to need to carry through as the conversation goes on, just to, just to elaborate on, it's a type of phrase that people use quite often, but actually can be um, not that well understood or slightly confused of when someone's talking about shoulder stability and or scapular stability, what is it that they're, that they're talking about from your sort of professional point of view? Okay, so it's quite a good point because, again, if we, if we take it down to its simplest component, the shoulder, which is a, the scapula and, and, and the humerus, but that's actually part of a, of a girdle. So that, then we've got, the, um, we've got the collarbone, the clavicle that, that attaches the upper limb uh, to the to the skeleton uh, by the uh, by the sternum by the breastbone and that's the only sort of um, bony attachment of the upper limb uh, to, to the body. The rest of the the, the shoulder girdle is just suspended in, in, in muscles. So we need to think about if we talk about stability, we can have instability, so lack of control of the ball in the socket, so which we, we would call glenohumeral instability, or we can have lack of stability of the, the shoulder blade, the scapula on, on the thoracic thoracic wall. So both of those can have, have an effect. So what we tend to see a lot of is a, a lot of impingement, okay? A lot of people getting pinched things around, around the shoulder. Uh, and that's due to the, the space between the, the top of the, the shoulder, so where the, um, the scapula is, it forms a roof of the shoulder with a bone called the acromion. And then there's a little space in there, and in there you've got your rotator cuff muscles, so supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and you've got long head and biceps going into there. And you've also got, got a bursa. Now that space is tiny. It's you know it's about seven millimeters in in in, uh, in distance at its widest, and when we move our arm above our head, it can close to two to three millimeters. So there's very little room in a healthy shoulder, okay, to for all for all the structures that are in there. And if and so when I'm trying to explain it to my patients, so I talk about the. The, the that space there where everything is we uh, as a as a house it's got a roof and that roof is from the shoulder blade it's got a floor and that floor comes from the from the humeral head from the arm bone and then it's got furniture inside now the bigger the house the more room you've got for your furniture 
Okay, the smaller the house, the less room you've got. So you can have a bungalow and try and get a, a house's worth of furniture into there. It gets quite quite cluttered. So if your roof comes down, that can create some some irritation and some pathology. Or your floor can come up. Okay, and again, that can redu- reduce that space. And the other thing is you can irritate the, the furniture that's in there, so the tenders and the bursa, and they can get bigger, okay, and fill that. So there's sort of three components that when, whenever we get, you know, I get lots of patients referred with impingement, where, where, where as such impingement is a mechanism. It's something that happens, okay, but it doesn't tell us anything around there. We know that something's getting squashed in there, but we don't know what it is that's getting squashed and irritated, and we don't know um, how, how that's been caused. Is it because the, the floor's unstable? Is it because the roof's unstable, or is it because the furniture's too big? What are the, some of the common things or causes, Ian, but that, that can uh, irritate the shoulder? Because like people have a lot of sort of, uh, when, they don't, when they haven't had a diagnosis or they haven't specifically seen a physio, they'll know they get some pinching and some pain. It doesn't stop them from training often. They can kind of continue. And you see, I've seen it over the years, yeah. where you see people on the bench press and they get up and like, crack it, like just bench press 110 kilos and winding the shoulder up like it's about to drop yeah. off. Um, what, what are some things which can cause problems okay so, so I, I'm, I'm massively passionate now some say obsessed about the the shoulder blade okay so first of all before you move you know the position of the of the shoulder blade so if we you know the, the shoulder blade is, is basically triangular uh and with three corners on so the pointy bit at the bottom that points down towards the, the floor we call that the, in, the inferior angle and then if you go up to the top on the on the inside near your spine you've got another corner and we call that the superior angle. Now, if you look at somebody from, from behind and you look at the distance between their, their bottom angle, the inferior angle and the thoracic spine, and then look at the distance from the superior angle and the thoracic spine, in a, in a good positioned, optimally positioned shoulder blade, before they move, the distance between the inferior angle, that bottom pointy bit, and the, and the thoracic spine should be greater than the one, one at the top. And in that position, that means we've got an, an upwardly rotated scap- uh, scapular shoulder blade. And in that position, then all the muscles that are attached to the shoulder blade are in their optimal position to, ma- to maximally generate force at low energy cost. So that's one of the, the first things. So you can look before people move and, and, and maybe often in a, in a downwardly rotated position. If the if edge of your shoulder blade there, uh, is is parallel to your scapula uh, to your thoracic spine then it's a downward rotated it should move away it should you know it should diverge away uh, at the bottom so that, that's also a really good place to to start and look at and then as your arm goes up above your head your shoulder blade should move upwards and, and outwards and, and uh, it's suggested that you need 60 degrees of, of, of rotation. So that, that inferior angle, that bottom pointy bit, should move out and sort of finish sort of uh, in what they call the mid-axillary line. So somewhere in line with the, the middle of your, your armpit from, from there. Uh, and that would be one of the things that we, we would check whether it can it go from there. And that in its simplest form. The, the scapula also uh, tilts backwards and it, and it, and it tilts it, uh, out inwards as well. But they are more difficult to spot. But the easiest things to see is the resting position of the shoulder blade and where it and how it moves going into upward, upward rotation. 
And, and terms that people will often have, have be familiar with or heard of, and those is retraction um, and protraction. Yeah. That's often yeah. people say, even here in calisthenics, you've got yeah. to retract your shoulder yeah. blades, but that's actually what we're talking about when the, when the shoulder blades is, or the scapula is, is tucked in close to the spine, yeah. we're in retraction, and then it should be allowed to protract and go yeah. around the rib cage to support the shoulder as it goes overhead. Yes, yeah. And, and, and again, you know, the, 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 the movements that people talk about a lot of protraction and a lot of the movements that we do in life and certainly a lot of the movements that happen in the gym involve protraction of the shoulder. So my, my big bugbear, and I'll get my bias out early, I hate the bench press. Okay, I'd have it banned if it was up to me. So certainly barbell bench press. That the, I, you can put some. You can convince me that a dumbbell bench press may have some some value, but a barbell bench press it, it tends to in a, a lot of patients, a lot of sportsmen I see is a contributing factor because we get too protracted, we get too tight. You know, there's a we all know about our pecs. Okay, our beach muscle that we look for. So that's pec major. But there's a tiny muscle under that called pec minor that attaches to the front of the of the uh, shoulder blade, and it, and if that be uh, when that contracts, that downwardly rotates our, our shoulder blade and moves our shoulder blade, our scapula into all the positions that we don't want. So protracting exercises will tend to bring you a downward rotation. Okay. Yeah. No, it's good because I think a lot of the time we hear. Uh, particularly in in the in the fitness space, that we maybe uh, I'm not say that necessarily dumbed down, but missing a little bit of that finer detail around yeah. what we'll hear too often is just only things like protraction, retraction, and depression, and yeah. particularly like depression and and retraction coming yeah. um, together as this sort of holy grail of yes. things you need to do with your scapula, yeah. and completely missing out the intricacy of um, both the tilting that you were talking about and um, and the rotation that, that, that this art this this shoulder blade has to rotate and linking into what you said before about it's trying to position uh, the, the the ball and the socket in the correct uh, alignment or correct position for as you're going to go overhead. Um, yeah. So it's just good. It's good to get that sort of um, clarity from yourself on that. So that what just on that when we because you, you mentioned this to us before, um, it sounded like it was a little bit of a bugbear of yours as yeah. well, which is good to, yeah. to, to get out there. Um, that um, just highlight for us because I think it's, it's something that I've had in the past myself, and I know that a lot of people will have it. That when we hear this. Um, this constant barrage of uh, retraction and depression yeah. for the shoulder base, some of the common problems that can have in terms of you like tugging down on your lat in terms of being constantly downwardly rotated, what are some of the problems that that can cause for the shoulder? Yeah, so, so it's common you know, that, that people, you know, and, and in the fitness sphere, but also, you know, physios talk about the, you know, to, to set your scapula before you move and you go back and down. Okay, so if you retract your scapula, so bring your shoulder blades closer together, okay, one of the muscle or pair of muscles that are going to work hard there are your rhomboids. And what rhomboids will do, will they will downwardly rotate your, your shoulder blades. So very minor, I'm obsessed with it being upwardly rotated. That's not a good thing to start. And then the yeah. other thing, if we're going to bring our scapula down, we're going to use that a little bit. There's a little bit of uh, latissimus dorsi that passes across the sort of inferior angle of the scapula, and we use we use lat to pull down. Now, lat inserts into the arm, and, and it's a, an internal rotator of the arm. Now, we know to get the arm above the head, the arm has to turn outward. So we are, you, know, you, start, you can start with your thumb in, but when you get to the top of the movement, your thumb needs to be out and your sort of palm 
uh, your thumb facing facing behind you. If you're using your lats, your lats is going to stop that movement. It's going to stop that that movement out, that external rotation of, of your shoulder, and you're going to start to get some some compromise. So if you've got um, if you've got a downwardly rotated scapula, a downward rotated shoulder blade, and and dominant or, or overactive latissimus dorsi, what that's going to do is it's going to try and pull your, your humeral head down to the, out of the bottom of the socket because that's to try and get some, some movement in there. So that can start to bring in some insta- instability, some clinohumeral instability uh, of, your, of your shoulder. And just on, on one point on that, Ian, I think it might have been one of your papers that I, I read a while back about talking about how much uncontrolled translation of the humeral head in the, the socket or the, the, the foster on the scapula can lead to an injury. Like we've actually got a very small margin for error, haven't we? In yeah. terms of, of it's, it's about, health. you know, if it goes more than two millimeters from the, from the center, there's a tiny little bit of, of movement. It doesn't stay dead center, but more than two millimeters from the from that set position can then start to cause problems around there. It's you know it's an incredible joint when you look at it, how much load it can take and how much stability it can, it can, it can, it can afford with those tiny margins of error. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you about cues in a minute because you've got some great ways of helping people to understand how the shoulders should move well. Yeah. Just one of the things that just thinking of people who have experienced shoulder issues in the past that sensation of trying to do something might be lifting a dumbbell overhead or something and all of a sudden just completely losing power like losing strength what's happening in that situation if someone feels an episode of instability or a sharp pain or reduction they'll be able to produce force what's the mechanics of that and and why should we be wary of it so so often again it's because that position between the ball and the socket's not right so we spoke spoke earlier uh, um, uh, about you know the, the the socket should follow the ball so when when I'm working with athletes, when I'm working with, with patients around the shoulder going overhead, we talk about cueing the movement from the from the scapula. That the move the scapula has to upwardly rotate. So forget about your arm, forget about what's in your hand. Think about pushing your the weight up above your head by getting your shoulder blade to come round round and up. Uh, you can you, know, you can see that in a, in a mirror. You can see your shoulder blade come sort of out to the side of your uh, side of your chest wall. You can see you know the fingers of serratus and Interior working and so think of pushing up from that get your platform round and your arm will follow it if your if your uh, platform if your scapula doesn't get round then as we mentioned earlier the, the tension relationships wrong for the uh, rotated cuff the scapula stabilizer muscles are, 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 are suboptimally recruited so we can get some scapular instability and you lose that that power it's a little bit like uh, you know trying to if we look at a lower limb comparison, if you were stood on a on a lilo in the middle of a swimming pool and tried to jump off it, okay, you wouldn't get any distance because you haven't got a stable base. Whereas if you stood on the side of the swimming pool and tried to jump onto the lilo, that's easy because you've got a stable base. So we need that stable platform and it needs to be dynamically stable as we go up above our heads. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, it's uh, one of the things then, be, there's lots of us that would like to uh, geek out on understanding like, okay, what exactly is going on and which bones are moving and, and, and the importance of the joint. And that is really helpful also, even if someone doesn't want to geek out on that, if we have an idea of what, a picture in our mind of what we're trying to create, it can help us produce that better movement. Are there any, you mentioned there about feeling like you're pushing your, your scapula out and around. Are there any other uh, cues that you like to use to help people either 
um, position themselves in the, in the right shape at the start? Okay. And uh, maybe is it, do you have anything different between pushing and pulling and whether it's horizontal or vertical? Um, any cues okay. that actually if someone goes and implements, you know, X, yeah. whether they understand what the scapula is doing or not, even if they can't pronounce scapula, it doesn't yeah. matter if they, can, if they can do the cue and presumably getting set in or positioning yeah. at the right at the right starting point um that's going to be one key thing for people that you know if you're not if we're not set up right then yeah. we're uh, we're fighting losing battle before we started yeah and you know and, and you know you're you're conscious you know that uh that that term scapula setting you know gets my back up a little bit and from there you know uh, with it because you know often that scapula setting term is linked to putting your shoulder blade back and down which we've discussed about there but again when i'm explaining it to to, to patient that the the term set has a connotation of not moving so if you think of you know when a little had a birthday party and you were having some jelly okay you put the jelly cubes up and you put some hot water in and then you your mum would put the jelly in the fridge and she'd wait for it to set so it goes from a runny a runny thing a mobile substance to a to a, a more stiff stuff or if you're a bit more blokey which is not me but if you're laying some concrete and you put it down it's all nice and, and, and moldable and, and sloshy and you have to don't step on that concrete you've got to wait for it to set or some kind of bloke said to me go off that's what you call it anyway <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, you ruined it cheers <laughs> yeah uh, with it but uh, from that so, so again that 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 uh, association of the term setting with it being a static, a static thing rather than being a dynamic thing. So what I tend to tell my patients, and, and it, it, most of the time it does seem to work, I, I say to them, do you know when you put a rucksack on, you put a rucksack on your back, the first thing you do is you just sort of just jiggle your shoulders back to get the rucksack in, in the right position. So I, was, so I say to my patients, put your rucksack on and then forget about it. I don't want them, I don't want them to think about it anymore because if you're trying to hold a position your shoulder blade's not going to go up from there so I say, yeah. put your rucksack on and, and off we start and, and you know probably 70 percent of the time that cues enough to, to get to get yeah. them working. i think a lot of the a lot of the sort of down and back comes from the fact that mo a lot of people these days i'm sort of roll my shoulders forward yeah. that we we start we can yeah. come from a you know a, a position where we are all tight across the anterior portion of the shoulder and where the shoulders are rolled forward yeah. and the scapula is not in a good yeah. position and actually trying to roll them back or that that's that's where a lot, I assume a lot of the down and back has come from yeah. with um, good intentions yes. about taking us from this forward rounded um, position it's just probably got to the point it it's just Maybe it's just not quite telling the full yeah, it, picture of the story that needs to happen. It's been pedantic. So, I, you know, so I've done a, done a session this morning, technically, session while I've been at EIS, and, and we, we've worked through a problem with, with somebody with a shoulder problem. And, and I was saying, you know, what would you do? What exercise would you do? And everything they did was really, really good, except their, their coaching of the, the movement and the exercise wasn't, wasn't good enough. So we got some change in the in the uh, in the athlete's presentation, but because they didn't, they weren't specific enough with how to do the movement. Okay, then we, once we coached them properly how how to move their their shoulder blade, which it, which it was uh, from there, we managed to abolish the the athlete's pain. You know, within um, about twenty minutes, uh, and, and then we taught them we taught them those skills. So again, often when I'm rehabilitating uh, a, a, an athlete or a patient, I, I don't give them exercise, I give them skills to do. 
because it's not about sets and reps ultimately. It's about I want you to do this movement and do it well, okay, and do as many of those movements that you can feel that it's doing well. And we talk about all the all the faults, all the cheats that they do. And, and when it starts to feel hard work, that's enough because optimal recruitment of muscles and optimal movement should be effortless, okay, without any weight, obviously. Okay, but so if we're getting our arm up above our head, it should be effortless. And, and, and a, a, a colleague of mine called Joanne Elphiston talks about beautiful movement. It should look beautiful. And, and not if you're taking your arms above, above your head, look like you've got 20 kilograms in each hand as you struggle, struggle to get your arms up and poke your chin, chin forward. Yeah. And obviously, you know that calisthenics comes from two Greek words, callus and stance, which mean beauty and strength. So that's exactly. I, 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 I actually saw that on uh, Twitter this weekend. I was going to try and drop that in, so I look really knowledgeable. <laughs> it off me now. <laughs> is there any other? So, so we've got the putting the rucksack on. Is there any? Um, it might be too specific, but are there any other uh, common cues you use for any specific, like sort of put the difference between pushing and pulling motions? What about in a like a, a typical YTW position? Yeah. Here, where, where is there is there a role for us wanting to try and get some end range? muscle activation to sort of cue a little bit of strength gains because obviously the, the backpack cue is great to yeah. put the shoulder in a position what does it does that change when it comes with the focus of of strengthening in more isolation so, so we're going to look at you know so if we look at the the shoulder girdle uh, uh, as itself the shoulder girdle is relatively not very strong on its own in isolation so, so if you like take the local system, so look at deltoid or you know bicep or tricep or any of the cuff muscles, okay, and then compare that to the, the force generating capacity of pec, major, or lat, they're, they're not there. Okay, but the shoulders can be made to be strong. Now, if we think about it, so that's this is where the kinetic chain is massively important. And again, with this athlete this morning, once we got the kinetic chain involved, we, we changed things massively. So when, you, when you're doing something and producing a force output with your upper limb, if you're starting, if we split the, the body in, into three, so from the waist down, okay, that area will generate 50% of the force that's produced in your upper limb. And the trunk bit, okay, so, so around the core or whatever, will, will generate 30% from there. So you've got to make sure that you're getting the, the right contribution from, from that, that um, sort of lower limb, from trunk down, uh, yeah, from waist down, and, and then from trunk up. Because otherwise, then, you know, what a lot of people do is work really, really hard on, on strengthening around, around the shoulder. And what happens is their shoulder muscles then end up overworking to produce the force because they're not getting all that 80% that they need. So if you can get that 80% in there, it makes things much better. So again, a, a lot of the rehab that I see that doesn't work well the consultancy I, I do outside the EIS it's because you know I, I we'll check the local system what's going on everything's good and the shoulder blades are in the right position and the, the, the shoulder blade stabilizer muscles are good and cuffs good but then we look at trunk at the activation of the trunk and that'll be down and we'll look at lower limb capacity and, and that'll be really really down from that and so we just end up overloading the shoulder because it's having to try and make up for the, the whatever the lack of the 80 percent that it should be getting yeah great and i think um the other thing i just wanted to touch on then we want to get into a little bit more of the specifics around calisthenics was just around um ligaments tendons and connective tissue and this doesn't necessarily need to be isolated to the shoulder because we'll have 
well, they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just a little bit of context on that because often people come into calisthenics, they get super excited because it's it's cool yeah. um, and they just go hard at training yeah. and they haven't done any of this sort of stuff before where, as you said, the, the shoulder is able to produce a significant amount of force and calisthenics demands a certain high level of that, but it, it places a significant stress on, on some of our connective tissue um, what are some of the things to be aware of with that and what happens when we go too far down the line and overtrain or overload those those structures so so, so we currently around the, the shoulder about tendons where there's a there's a thought that the the tendons for the upper limb are don't respond the same way as the tendons for the lower limb. So there's loads of research on the uh, Achilles tendinopathy and patellar tendinopathy. And, and we have you know, stolen, borrowed, modified the rehab programs that work for those tendinopathies and tried to use them in the upper limb, but we're not sure whether it's the same tendon because it's a, a non-weight bearing, bearing tendon. But you know, notwithstanding that, is you know, what we've got to remember is that our... Our body, all our tissues in our body are constantly changing. You know, so we, we know muscles. Okay, so you go to the gym. If you want better looking muscles, bigger, firmer muscles from there, you get a weight and you do lots of resisted exercises. And then when, as that gets easier, you add some more weight and, and then you'll get a bit bigger and a bit stronger. You know, if you carry on doing the same exercises with the same weight, you won't get that adaptation that you can see that everybody's looking for now for when they go on holiday in, in the summer. Okay, so but the same thing is is your tendon, your tendons adapt, and your bones adapt, and your connective tissues adapt, but they're much slower to adapt. So the rate of sort of remodeling of a, of a tendon is about seven times longer than a than a muscle. So when you load a muscle, you're, you're loading a tendon. So you know the tendon is the bit that in between the muscle and the and the bone that connects it to, together. So if you put a lot of force through an accumulative load through your muscle, you get an accumulative load through your tendon, and your tendon will start to adapt. But immediately after you've finished loading a tendon, the, the, the strength or the, the, the ability to, to withstand force dips quite significantly. Okay, and then over the next sort of 48 to 72 hours, you get a, a remodeling of the tendon, and the tendon actually in about uh, 48 to 72 hours is a little bit stronger. And then you can go again and repeat that. But if, if, you, if you train too often, it, it's certainly within that 48-hour window, you, you're training on a tendon now which is less robust than it was before you started. Okay, uh, and, and you go that way. So again, if you have a massive change in, in the amount of force you put through it, anything, and we all know that if we go to the gym, we get doms. Not been to the gym for ages, do something, get really, really sore, muscles 24 hours later, 48 hours later. If you've done a leg session, you can't go to the loo because you can't sit down. <laughs> okay, and if you're down, you don't want to, you don't want to stand up again. So, so the same thing happen, happens to the tendon. So we, we've got to get this graded loading to, to the tendon tendon needs to adapt uh, to the load but, it, but they are slow slow to adapt to our tendons and they don't like okay. underloading either do they just very quickly if you have exactly, no. got to a good point and you train well all of a sudden you have three weeks off and go back to what you're doing before you yeah. might find yourself having a run down yeah. because it's, it just gets hammered yeah. and all of a sudden it's like hang on a minute and again you, you, see, you, know, you look at yourself you know, if you go to the gym get a great body for uh, August to go on holiday do nothing get to Christmas you'll like a Christmas pudding okay you don't if you don't keep it 
if you don't load it so that's a yeah, brilliant point that Tim that you know you, you you need to load it to keep it but if you underload it it becomes less robust it, it, it sort of becomes weaker as we would expect our, our muscles to be yeah and talking about we're starting to lead on to um injuries of when we get these types of things wrong we've already you've already spoke about with the with the shoulder that if we haven't got that control of uh, the shoulder blade and the humeral head that we can start to get you mentioned about impingement and a lot of the issues you know having spoken to you are um are going to be going to come down to the fact that those two things are not working well together and that's what's causing you uh, your problem and i had someone um i was i overheard a conversation in the gym earlier today uh, yesterday and someone said that they, you know they'd seen a, um, a a medical practitioner who basically they had some pain. You know, you said that you'd worked with a guy um, this morning that had some pain within twenty minutes of getting them to cue the correct movement um, that the pain had gone away. Whereas this person was told um, basically, you're a bit old now. You're thirty, forty years old. You're a bit knackered. They literally said they were saying. I heard the conversation they were having with the mate. They said basically, he said to me like, you know you're playing a losing game once you're over 20 you've got no chance of you just fighting a losing battle which i just couldn't believe and just want to like make sure that just i felt very we laugh about it because we th- we think it's ridiculous yeah. but he's left there thinking that oh well, actually i've got this pain i'm always going to probably have this pain i just need to try and sort of deal with it um, rather than actually drilling into what's causing it and there's always a reason and then and then drilling down into it and i think you you know you explain that well with how the shoulder's moving i wanted to ask about um about the elbow when you're talking about tendons and ligaments with for us and, and as around surrounding all those joints but particularly around the elbow we get people um and we've experienced it ourselves like golfer's elbow or tennis elbow from sort of overdoing pull-ups or muscle-ups or whatever it may be and just a little bit of understanding as to um what those two um injuries are and then what types of things can people do to try and avoid them and and where might the underlying issue be coming from okay you know, rather than it being just specifically at the elbow so tennis elbow is when you get the pain on the outside of your, of your elbow uh, okay from there and, and that's in, in its truest sense is is a, a tendinopathy it is an overload of a tendon uh, and it's it's usually from gripping because to get to get a good grip, we have to uh, extend our wrist, bring our wrist back. And at the outside of the elbow, that's where all the extensor muscles are. That's the extensor, extensor tendon. Um, uh, so again, sometimes having um, uh, too much gripping, okay, can put too much force. We know, you know, and certainly I know I was on an elbow course the, the other week with, uh, with Leanne Bissett, and we, it's, it's about that the, the, those extensor tendons work Isometrically, they work it, uh, constantly in a in a set position for, for gripping, and that's one of the things that tends to overload it. But as we were saying earlier on about the you know comparing the upper limb and the lower limb, and about having a stable pelvis, if if your shoulder girdle is unstable, if your scapula is unstable, then you can't, then you haven't got a, it reduces your ability uh, for stability around your elbow. The, and uh, literally, we're talking about the shoulder girdle. That then the elbow muscles will start to overwork and overload the cells because further up the chain, around your shoulder blade, around your scapula, you've got you've got some in, instability. So again, you know, when we when I see um, patients with elbow elbow problems, I always look at the uh, look at the shoulders. But I've got a, 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 a fetish about that. But you all, you can often find you can change that. You know, that a lot of these people will have. Uh, will have an instability around their elbow. 
and and again you can you know so we use in, in clinic we we use a a handheld dynamometer a hand grip dynamometer that shows how much force that they they can produce and we look for how much squeeze can you get what what value can you give us before you get pain and then what we might do is then look at uh, manually stabilizing the shoulder blade retesting that and if we get an increase in pain-free grip strength we know that the cause is, is something further, further up if it was a true tendinopathy we would, that wouldn't change if it was overload and if we go a little bit further down and we talked about grip so a couple of the studies that we've done uh, one at Salford and one that we've done at Liverpool uh, Hope University using electro uh, myographic feedback so looking at the muscles working we saw that there is a really good correlation between grip strength and shoulder posterior cuff activity so when your posterior cuff is fatigued so super uh, infraspinatus and teres minor your grip strength will drop about the same it was almost it, it was a really excellent correlation so yes yeah, so for like every one uh, uh, one a newton meter that we uh, we lost around at the hand we lost similarly around around the shoulder so so again and that shows that 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 really interdependence between proximally the shoulder scapula shoulder girdle and, and what goes on uh, uh, yeah your hand Great. Just one one last takeaway, but then we'll talk about uh, calisthenics because this is all feeding beautifully to the crescendo of where we want to go with, uh, with calisthenics and its role of, of shoulder performance. If someone has a tendinopathy, um, and let, let's take the golfer's elbow, which is going to be pain on the inside of yeah. the elbow, um, what is the course of action? Because I, I had go golfer's elbow early on in my calisthenics journey, and it took a long time to get rid of, and it, it was actually an enforced rest through work, which meant that I just didn't train it, and that was the thing that cured it. But it, it's not bad enough to stop you from training, but it niggles away yeah. and it's pretty miserable yeah so, so if you've got um if you've got a, a tendinopathy so uh, and so that means that there, there's there's something going on in, in the tendons so we know now from most of the research that it isn't it isn't inflammation so that's why we don't give anti-inflammatories and stuff like that and certainly these days you know giving anybody a cortisone injection around the elbow tendons has, has gone right out of favor from there but but you've got a, a tendon that is what it could be reactive to, to load so it's loading tolerant it doesn't like what what you're doing and, and what happens is you get a if you think of that the tendon that is made up of structures but when i'm explaining it to patients it's got jelly in it and it's got string in it and we know that tendons uh, will resist uh, uh, stretch and will resist compression so the string okay reduce uh, it resists stretch and the jelly reduces compression. And if you get a tendinopathy, that you lose some of that string. So that's a collagen that we talk about in, in there. Okay, so you haven't got as much top collagen, so it can't it, it can't tolerate stretch, it can't tolerate load as well. And you end up with a little bit more jelly and a little bit more water in there that makes your tendon tendon swell. So if you've got a, a tendon that that reacts to loading, then what you need to do is you've got to stop provoking it. It's a little bit like if you had a bruise on your thigh and every day, first thing you do in the morning is just punch your, th punch your thigh for 10 minutes and then wonder why is my, why my bruise on my leg getting any better uh, from there. So in, in that thing, you have to find the level. So we, we're not saying to, um, to 
necessarily completely offloading, just deloading to to a level because again we're wanting to get the level of loading that will start to enhance that that repair process. So start to stimulate more string, more collagen production. And if you, as you saw, if you try and ignore it, it just takes forever and ever and ever because you're constantly not allowing that 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 change to to remodel and get more collagen, more string in there and, and be. Uh, and be uh, fit for purpose. I just had one um, question, which is getting a little. It's about the still the, the injury around the shoulder and the elbow. You ask, you're asking for a friend, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a friend, a friend of mine's got this thing uh, um, okay. that just um, and it, it, it's a little bit more calisthenics specific, so it will lead nicely on then in, into that part of uh, the discussion around. Um, but just around, we've talked a lot about stability control. Uh, just wanted to ask about um, range of motion and sort of limited range. So if somebody is going for um, a bar muscle up and during that transition, we have to internally rotate the shoulder yeah. that if we are lacking that range at yeah. the shoulder there, yeah. that yes, we might injure the shoulder, but also that almost like the elbow taking up some of the slack in the... Yeah. The, you've got you've got the desired outcome in your head yes. of I'm trying to create this movement so the body will try to do what it wants to do um, and then find a different way well, to do that. Can that be a strategic way to, to get the outcome yeah. that you want? Yeah, so, so, and so, that can just yeah, produce a, a stress on one of the at that actual joint or the surrounding yeah. joints potentially. Yeah, so, so again, what I'm explaining to patients, it's a bit like you know, if if you're driving a car and your tracking's out. If your tracking's out, it'll wear it'll wear a tire out, and the more yeah. your tra your tracking is out, okay, the more and sooner it'll wear wear your tire. Now the solution isn't to take it into quick fit. Other garages are available, okay. Are <laughs> <laughs> um, the guys so at Quick Fit fitted something on my uh, fixed something on my car? I had to put out a nail in it, <laughs> and didn't even charge me. Well, there you so go. I went and bought a couple of beers from Aldi. Uh, excellent. There you go. So this, I would recommend quick. Fit. Thanks for that, Jacko. Sorry. This, this Back to the podcast. Been, this podcast has been brought to you sponsored by Quick, by quick Fit. fit. But it will be now. I'm going to ring you up and say we just talked about you coming in set of tires. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so the solution isn't to change your tire because if you just change the tire, you'll get the same output. You'll get the same well, worn tire. So you need to change the tracking, change the biomechanics. Yeah. So, so again, uh, the, our body is a really great adapter to, to give an out because we're out for, output focused. You know, get your arm above your head. We'll often not even notice how much we're cheating and side flexing and doing all sorts of thing, things from that. So, so quite rightly, you know, with the, you know, if we haven't got the desired range of motion, certainly that internal rotation when your arms out, out to the side, yeah, that, that puts it then a, with a bent elbow, you get a lot of torque around your elbow and you'll start yeah. to stretch tissues and you'll, then you'll start to get, you can either get damage from that or you can start to get some instability around that area. Yeah, in the context, sorry, in the context of calisthenics as well, we are people will have experienced that because on top of everything you've just said, they may have never done this whole movement as one before, and they're trying to, as we describe, redefine their impossible. They're trying to go beyond what they've previously done, yeah. potentially in a in compromised position, and, and that might be why that that's just going to add to the potential risk of injury yeah. if we're not taking care of 
our you know stability quality of movement range of motion it's why we place so much importance on all of our training and programs around that movement preparation part of the beginning making sure we are taking care of our body and our joints and preparing ourselves for the session specifically we're going to go ahead to yeah um, i think sometimes people get in contact with us and ask us like you know um can you send me like the warm-up i need to do and it's it's not about a one generic warm up yeah, that's good for calisthenics. Yeah. It's yeah. about being specific for what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's. Um, I just want to move on in and just get where your thoughts are because we, we've had opportunity to connect on, on a couple of different occasions now, and, and I literally could listen. Jack had came back from me, saw you on Wednesday at Sheffield, and came back and said, I, I could talk, I could listen to Ian all day, and I'm, I'm the same now. When you, <laughs> when you said I, before, I, you like three hours, all day, so it's fine. <laughs> well, no, but I'm not, I'm not looking, goes, Can we do a three hour podcast? <laughs> we we'll just keep going. Well, yeah, so just to let everyone know, we're about a third of the way through <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, I just wanted to, to to get your thoughts on on where you see sort of calisthenics fitting in the role of improving the quality of of um, the up, the performance of the upper limb uh, because it is something that we've talked about a little bit before around um, what it offers from a training environment that is potentially of use when we're talking about shoulder health. Yeah. So, so anybody who, uh, who knows me and saw me would not believe that I do calisthenics when you look at my look at my body, but I, I am new to it. <laughs> I've been about six six months into it. So, so what in your I've first heard se- about your frog yeah. to head stand. In your <laughs> first session, Ian, <laughs> impressive. I went away and I went, do you know what? Pretty good. Now, that I peaked too early. Yeah, I'm struggling to get, <laughs> still struggling to get into a handstand. But yeah. so, so, so what I love about a calisthenic is one, it, it's body weight. Okay, so you 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 cannot you you, you know you can't overload uh, uh, unintentionally. But fair, so I like. The other thing is how it's coached and how how it's cued, and it's about the quality of the movement and 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 going through it myself. When you do the exercise correctly, where you where you've got everything where it needs to be, all the bits together, it's easy, and, and that's a that's a, that's a big thing. You know, when you, you know, now you know going frog stand to headstand, it's it, you know it is easy. Whereas I struggled, I couldn't even work out how to get my legs up from there. But it is. Is it, is, fair, to, it, is it fair to say it's beautiful? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it depends where you're looking for the front or the back, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, with it. So, so, so I love that. And, and again, from, you know, for upper body, uh, there's a lot of the things that people use to strengthen or condition their upper body, okay, involve doing movements, uh, sorry, doing training muscles and not movement. So you know, we know, you know, yes, pressing exercises, you know, uh, get your good good pecs. But uh, is, it, is it functional? You know, having big big pecs and being able to press something bilaterally with, with both hands, okay, might, it doesn't necessarily to translate into be able to throw something further or or, or or you know get up off the floor any any, any quicker. So a, a lot of the you know, it's 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 about a movement. You know, and, it, and it's sort of, and you've got to think about all all your body, and, and you know, and, and thinking about you know if you're doing a, you know, if you say you're doing a, a pull up or whatever, uh, okay, and think about getting to a muscle up. I'm, I still struggle to do three pull ups, but uh, from there. But again, but if you get your, if you engage your core and the low limb, it, it's better. You know, it, it gives you that yeah. platform for your lat, which is off your, which is off your pelvis to, to work on. So that stable pelvis gives a nice platform for lat to work on that makes it much easier to to, to get up, up from, from, from there. I think it's it, it's a must for all 
adolescents and, and, and kids who are in, in sport to, to do as they're conditioned. They don't need to be in the gym. There's this massive thing in, in, in rugby. You know, as soon as you get, you know, 13, 14, get in the gym, you know, get get bench pressing, get lap pull down, doing all this stuff. You know, and, and I see loads and loads of young young lads with shoulder problems, dislocated shoulder because of the muscle, the muscle imbalance that, 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 they've, uh, uh, that they've got uh, around there. And it involves, you know, it involves, talks about balance, you know, being able to balance, find those balance positions within a movement, but even, you know, like going to a frog stand or into a planche with legs up and things. It's, it's about finding balance and understanding, understanding your body. I think there's something when something else that I think adds to it. You, you it started to make me think of it when you were describing about the quality of the movement, and you gave the two examples um, or the continuum of like a, a pull up, and then um, saying, "Oh, but I, you know, I can't, you know, maybe a muscle up, but I'm 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 way away from that yet." But the if you're only training pull ups for pull ups, and you you give yourself the um, end point of the pull-up being when I get my chin above the bar, you can get your chin above the bar a number of different ways that don't look like a really good quality pull-up. Yeah. But if you're training your pull-ups with one eye on the fact that ju- might only you might never do it, yeah. but you just about to be aspirationally, I'd like to be able to do a muscle-up one day, you're aware that the height that I get to and the quality of that movement and my body position is, is going to be really important to that so that it um, as a byproduct of having something aspirational to aim towards makes even your uh, more basic movements or foundation movements, uh, you're encouraged, yeah. without even necessarily um, focusing on it, you're encouraged to do them with real quality and probably um, a better movement pattern than you might do if you were just trying to get your chin above the bar. Well, I think it goes right back to the physio. The, some of the biggest issues that, you, that your team and yourself will have had in the, in the past and probably still doing is, is adherence. Yeah. It's actually when yeah. getting people to, to rehab their shoulders, and I'm, I'm case study number one for this. If I, 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 with that, I don't take this the wrong way, but some of the f- exercises that physios use are not the most exciting <laughs> when, you, um, when you've got a bust shoulder, um, when you, especially when you're used to sort of being in the gym and lifting yeah. weights. They're, they're, they're difficult, and to be honest when you're not you're not coming from a place of moving well they're really difficult to do well and when the pain's gone away you just stop doing it um and i think that's one of the things that we think is interesting an opportunity with calisthenics is it feels like play um so you your adherence generally goes up because people have got some uh some goals yeah. wanting to achieve something but you can't cheat it like if you if you want to do something like a lever or a static hold um, you have to get the the, the core or, the, or the, the kinetic chain integrated together, which goes right back to what you were saying before about force transfer. And the other thing that, that comes out from, from what you were saying is it's this, this idea of control. And if we are moving in an environment which requires that precision and control to do skilled movements, you are by default upgrading the quality and your ability to control the position of the scapula and the and the, the humeral head so it, go, it goes full circle but the, the beautiful thing about it is it doesn't feel like that everything that you said at the start is around the technicalities of it is so important in understanding good scapular movement and shoulder performance but some of that to a certain degree as long as you, you train progressively and sensibly is just it's packaged up in balancing on your hands yeah. you have to you have to. You don't have any choice. Yeah. And, you know, and if you that, don't that, get it that right, con- yeah, it's that, you know, let's say it's that continuum from you know, it's not doing a because you know to do a, a pull up, okay, it's to do then to progress that into a, into a muscle up and then you know and how how well that you know that looks. You know, we say you know, that 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 skilled movement looks easy whether it's mm-hmm. doing half a dozen muscle ups or whether it, you know whether it's 
hot in a long red playing, you know, playing snooker on a full size snooker table it looks easy until you get there. You know, <laughs> you know, just just things like that. Yeah, so you know, so scale looks easy. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's yeah. something to work work towards. So I had a question, Ian, with you uh, for you about um, the use of calisthenics in in sports and some obviously you're working in in the sporting environment. So rather than necessarily calisthenics just being for the sake of calisthenics yeah. of, of just a movement goal that someone uh, might have that isn't involved in sport. But we know a lot of the listeners are involved in sports at various different levels and you're using it at uh, uh, the, the sort of top or elite end. Um, what role have you seen for calisthenics in sports? And have you got any examples of any specifics that you've found it particularly useful with that you'd, you'd be happy to share? I mean, what, what I'm trying trying to do, so what there's a, uh, one of my roles outside the Institute is, is working with uh, some a set of developing athletes who, who need to use their upper limbs quite quite a lot. Uh, and so what we've just what I've just proposed and, and has been accepted is that we're going to try and get them out of the gym, uh, and we're going to, from a strength training point of view and start to use calisthenics more. So there's, there's quite a you know there's, there's a lot of influential people within within sport. So uh, you know, my my boss at, at AIS Simon Spencer's really into calisthenics. Uh, my, and, and he works with uh, England football, and so there's a lot of the people involved in the, in the training with England football in that. So it's quite a good buying because they're all using it and seeing the benefits. I believe that when uh, the England team were away uh, to the European Championships, they were having you know daily sessions. They're doing doing calisthenics, you know, and, and all reported you know how how great it was, especially you know for people my age are getting a bit older, and you know it takes me, it takes me weeks to get overcome a gym a gym session uh, from there. You know, because as I say, you know, like you say, it's about it's about you know beautiful strength. It's about beautiful movement. It, it, it's not about getting ripped. It's not about being able to do a personal best. It's not about how to do a million, a million sit-ups with your feet anchored under something. It's about about that movement. And as you go through that, that process, you can feel suddenly how things are become easy uh, to do. You know, without even knowing. It's like, why? Why is that so easy now? Where last week or whatever a month ago, I'm just rubbish from that. And, and you start to understand your, your body, but. Ultimately, as you two are testament to, you get ripped uh, uh, with it uh, uh, from there. So you can achieve a safe goal using using body weight and getting to understand how your body body works and how best to optimize the, the movement patterns within your body. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things for me personally, which has helped me as a as a relatively young S and C coach, where I've had to learn. I've probably learned so much more about failing numerous times of uh, various different calisthenics movements than textbooks I've read about my own body because unless you are doing something correctly and have the right position and the right control, that that movement or that thing you're trying to learn um, stays in the impossible box. And when it, when it carries on being an issue, you, it encourages you to dial down and understand your body even more. Like it, it's almost... Uh, it educates you along the way. It's sort of, I don't know, to be too sort of fluffy about it, but it is a, it's a process that if you don't get frustrated by it, can get way more out of the longer part of that process uh, of understanding yourself, your body and how, how it's supposed to uh, 
be when it's acting and working optimally and then you know when you get it right like you say the benefits um they, they feel they feel great there's all sorts of yeah. physical mental benefits as well as you being able to do the handstand or the muscle or whatever well, it is more importantly do, the, do, do the flag that's what that's what we're all really aiming for yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i think the one thing as well just going i'm going to bring this into a closing because you've given so much incredible information but just from a, from a personal um experience of some of the conversations that we've had and, and um obviously a lot of the listeners will know my background in terms of multiple dislocated shoulders and two surgeries. Um, and I've actually dislocated my shoulder since my last surgery when I was snowboarding, but I haven't, but that was before I started training calisthenics and I was terrified. I did it on my snowboard. I was absolutely terrified that I'd blown the repair, the, the repair apart. And I just, I just ruined everything that I'd done for the, for the previous 18 months, trying to get back to some form of performance. And I, so, I, but since I started calisthenics, my shoulders have never been better. I can put them in some positions that I never thought I would be able to achieve under tension and load that I never thought I would be able to do. And the point that you made to me once was around, you've got, you work, you see athletes all the time that have, there's labrums are torn, the rotator cuffs are in bit, like potentially there's all sorts of nasty stuff going on, but it comes down to control. So I may well have a tear in my labrum again, potentially my repair might've fallen apart, but the level of control that I've got around the shoulder now doing the sorts of training that I'm doing is testament to it working because I, I literally dislocated overhead with a 20 kilo Olympic bar once doing a snatch balance. It was that bad. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just think it's, there's, there's so much that I, I uh, we, we, there's, a, there's three people here very passionate about yeah. shoulders. So it's literally, well, just to give, I hope people can, still listening? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. So we're going <laughs> to, so we'll be, um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll just have this short break. We'll move into the second yeah. half of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to give, because Tim's mentioned this before, and some people might, to give some context, a snatch balance is like, that. Yeah. I could probably take, without having to describe it, just the context, I could probably take anybody and put a, an Olympic bar above the head. And yeah, they might not feel great and do a particularly good, but they won't dislocate the shoulder. If yeah, they've yeah. even never done the exercise before, yeah. even if I blindfolded them, even if they've never trained before, they're still not going to dislocate the shoulder in that position. They might drop the bar, mm. they might complain about it, but they're still not going to... Di- so just the, the context of how it, easy yeah, that it was absolutely was chocolate. dropping yeah. out. <laughs> But it's all it's all good now, and, and that's it. You know, we we yeah. you know, there's a this big difference between you know imaging and seeing uh, structural damage around any joint, but around the shoulder, uh, and whether it's whether it's meaningful or, or not. You know, and you know, yeah. as I told you before, you know, I've you know, worked with international rugby players, you know, who have got their scans are terrible, but we've rehabbed them. They've their back plane, they've had no no problem uh, from there because the controls controls there. Mm. Yeah. So, Ian, thanks so much for your time. Again, as we said, I hope people are still with us and um, anybody else who's just geeking out and, and just uh, bathing in shoulder knowledge at the moment. <laughs> and, and I think that the thing is, there's a lots of technical information in there, but um, the, the real sort of takeaway from, for people is that if you just move with control, be intentional about how you move. And we always talk about earning the right to progress. If you, if you do that within calisthenics, things tend to take care of themselves and you'll find that you are playing at the right level for what your capacity currently is. Yeah, so thank you so much, uh, uh, Ian, for, for taking the time out of your, your busy day and all of those um, amazing elite athletes that you're uh, taking up too much of your time, probably. But um, if people wanted to find out a little bit more, you know, be able to follow you, you're active on social media, aren't you? On, particularly on Twitter. If you just yeah. let people know where they can if, okay, so, get a few extra followers. Yeah, so, so on Twitter, my uh, you can kind of look for Dr. Ian Horsley, but the account is at back 
underscore in underscore action. That's my practice thing. So back, back in action. Back in action. Yeah. And what you can find on there as well is Ian is a, is a very supportive of the School of Calisthenics. <laughs> if, you, if you're following us and Ian, you're going to get a double whammy. <laughs> Thank you for that. We'd massively appreciate the support. On Instagram as well? or uh, If you go look at yeah, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a Luddite. We have uh, the back in action account has Instagram and it has Facebook, but I have somebody that somebody manages that for me. So a lot of the stuff will go on, on both, but uh, I, I, yeah. I can tell of what Instagram is. It's... Okay, but for the for the uh, for the personal touch, um, they can contact you on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. We'll put we'll put the links in the show notes okay. so people can just click on them straight in and, right. and, and find you from there. Um, but other than that, Ian, it's just a thank you for uh, say being uh, taking the time to come onto the podcast, and uh, we've got nothing else to say other than until next week. Class dismissed. Well, I hope that was useful. There is often a value in diving into a little bit more detail and starting to, to understand things at a deeper level so that you can actually understand the context and get buy-in as to why you might need to pay your shoulders a little bit of attention so we hope that Ian has, uh, has offered you a ton of value which I'm sure he has I have enjoyed listening back to that podcast again as I say it was a while since we recorded it but always a joy and uh, enlightening experience to spend time with Ian he's a super knowledgeable guy and just massively passionate about what he does and he's very very good at it Anytime we have a conversation with him, I always learn something else about the shoulder that I didn't know. <laughs> and I think one of the things is making it um, making it practical and, and being able to implement it um, into, into your training, just about some of the cues and some of the ways you think about how you move your shoulder. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I and mean, I was just going to say that if, uh, you know, for some, for some people, maybe like elements are in a little bit too much... Uh, I don't know, detailed and you, you're a little bit like, oh, I just want it a little bit sort of simplified. Well, that's where you want to go and visit the movement preparation sections of all of our online programs inside uh, the virtual classroom because we give you like all the sort of cues and tips and, and, and exercises that to, to try and help you prep your shoulders better specifically for the sessions that you're about to do in an easy and digestible way for you to train. So if you haven't checked those out yet or you've never paid a visit there and you've just listened to the podcast or you've never actually done it, Check out a seven-day free trial. It's what we call a no-brainer because it's free and it lasts a week and you can see whether you like it or not. And if you don't believe Jacko, if Ian thinks we're good, then that alone <laughs> is probably worth a little visit. Um, and if you want to give us a little bit of a review on whichever platform you listen to this, I, um, on Apple... Uh, is it still iTunes, Jacko? I don't use it. <laughs> is, it is it still, still iTunes? iTunes? I don't think so. Is it I don't... called iTunes? I think, Apple I think, Music. I, I think Apple still exists. Apple TV. You know where Spotify. it is. Spotify. We don't really mind. Social media, Instagram. Just tell anybody anywhere that you thought this was worth listening to. And if it's preferably, if someone said to you how many stars you think it was worth, it's the answer is five. The best one is word of mouth, I think. Yeah. I'd like Pass it on. Send it to somebody. Just like, put in a text message. Go, listen to this today. Thought you might like it. I, met, I, I, I saw a friend I've not seen for literally since COVID started. And they were like... Oh, one of uh, my friends keep telling me about the podcast, your podcast, and he's listening. She's like, "Yeah, I know the guys. We used to go to the gym together." <laughs> so it's quite cool when people tell each other that they've already they've already heard of it. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, she knows us and can't possibly think that we'd have anything useful to say. So um, maybe <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. No, she said she listened to it. She said she listened to it. Right, let's get off, Jacko. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll be back next week with another one. I don't know who it is going to be, but it might be us actually. It's me and Jacko next week. Could be. We'll see. Depends yeah. how depends how the planning works. So you can you can never plan things too far ahead, more than sort of like a couple of hours or a, potentially a day. <laughs> too far ahead. Right. Anyway, until that until that time comes, keep exploring your physical potential with movement, strength, and play. Class dismissed.